0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Franchise Tag Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Derek. I'm joining alongside Chris over the phone today. We're going to talk about some preseason, what's happened during uh, the week one of the preseason, and uh, preview some NFC East uh, as the NFL season is right upon us just a few weeks until... Uh, Week one is underway. How you doing, Chris?
2: Good. How's everyone doing?
1: All right. So, um, like I mentioned before, we're going to talk about some preseason and pretty much what I've gotten out of it, um, especially on social media, Twitter, Instagram, anything you can think of. is pretty much a bunch of overreactions to a bunch of new quarterbacks, to a ton of new players playing. Um, And specifically, when you think of overreaction to preseason, to NFL quarterbacks, you think of Daniel Jones. Am I not wrong?
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I got the luxury of seeing that firsthand.
1: Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I forgot you were at the game. Um, So what was it like in the crowd and everything like that when Daniel Jones first came out for his drive? Because uh, pretty much Eli Manning went three and out, no?
2: Uh, Yes, he did. He had like one complete pass for like two yards, and then he didn't do anything else.
1: Uh, Yeah, so him doing that isn't something Giants fans want to see. So when Daniel Jones comes out, you actually want to see some, you know, some pretty good quarterback play coming out, especially since, as we all know, he was going to be basically a second round pick. And I'm not sure if you've heard of this, uh especially as of recently, but supposedly, uh, the Broncos are gonna try to get uh Daniel Jones uh in in that uh wherever pick they were at. I forgot. I don't know if this was before or after the trade or whatever happened, but apparently they were eyeing down Daniel Jones and then the Giants were like we can't let that fall down um if he falls to the second round because potentially he was going to be a second round pick, maybe even a third because, you know, a lot of people didn't think his talent would suffice as a first round pick and so the Giants just pulled the trigger at six um so that's something that happened in the draft so he comes in onto the field I got a text from one of my buddies that was at the game as well and he said supposedly Daniel Jones got a standing ovation yes he did that's crazy
2: I was very surprised about that I was in the stands and I was like is Daniel Jones out is actually getting the ovation right now I was surprised
1: yeah and I don't think a lot of people know that I'm not sure if People have heard it on, say, like, First Take or anywhere on ESPN, but I got a text firsthand from someone who was at the game that said that he got a standing ovation. And I think it's officially settled in for a lot of Giants fans now knowing that this is going to be our future. There's nothing we can do about it now. We can't go back. We can't rewind time. He's going to be our guy. We just got to wait for him to, you know, fit into the NFL and see what he could do once he comes in.
2: Yeah. And so
1: he does come into the game, right? And then he goes 5-for-5, 67 yards and a touchdown. He looked pretty solid. But the thing is, a lot of people have been overreacting to it because, you know, it is the preseason. Yes, Jets backups were in, but there were a couple players that are in their starting lineup and they weren't playing like, you know, like, you know, rushing defense where he gets a lot of pressure. It's more like deep zone and plays like that. And um, would you say it's a giant overreaction or do you think Daniel Jones, if he goes up against better teams, will perform like that too?
2: It's it's very – this is one of those things that it's, everybody says it's very hard to make a prediction because, as you brought up, you know, he he went against some starters, but mostly, like, the second-teamers. And, I mean, he he did – what I was impressed about is he did well against that. So, in my head, I'm looking at if he can do well against that, that's already a good step forward because if he's going to do well against the first-teamers – you need to dominate against the second-teamers. And to go 5-for-5, 67 yards, and a touchdown, that's a step in the right direction.
1: I would feel you on that for sure. So when I first saw him do the 5-for-5, you know, in a touchdown, it was a pretty solid touchdown pass to Benny Fowler in, like, the corner of the end zone. It wasn't just, like, a a slant into the middle of the end zone. No one's covering him, and he's wide open, which any NFL quarterback could could probably do with their Mm -hmm. eyes closed. Um, and I would hope that Daniel Jones would be able to pull off that kind of play, but it was a pretty solid throw. He, he threw pretty well. A couple of those throws were you know, pretty solid. Especially, I was more impressed with the offensive line because their offensive line has been considered pretty bad over the past couple years, especially since Ben McAdoo was head coach and now transitioning over into Pat Shermer, who's the new head coach, and a whole new coaching staff. That was the starting offensive line because, again, they didn't play that much on the first drive. Eli Manning went three and out, and we didn't get to see much of them. They didn't even put in much work, so they kept him out there. And it he looked—he looked like he had plenty of time in the pocket, and that's something you want to see. Yeah. I didn't want to see him go out. Like, apparently, he's gotten a lot of reps with like the second teamers, third teamers, just to kind of get some reps in for the defense. And him look him out there with the first te- with first team uh, offensive line—that's a pretty solid look, if you ask me.
2: Oh yeah, and I mean, what what that throw reminded me of was like a very the touchdown pass that he had was like a. Like a dimmed down version of that Super Bowl pass that Ben had to, uh, what's his name? Was it, was it Holmes? Uh,
1: hold on, say that again? Sorry.
2: When, uh, when he threw that touchdown pass, his, his touchdown pass, the, uh, I think he only threw one. When he threw that touchdown pass, it was like a, like a dimmed down version of when Ben threw in the Super Bowl to, uh, San Antonio holds. Yeah,
1: kind of. Uh, Betty Fowler definitely had some more space in the corner of the end zone there, but uh, it wasn't like yeah. a tiptoe type catch, but you're throwing it in a tight space there.
2: Exactly. That's, that was what I was saying. Like something like that. that's what it reminded me of like that.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's crazy how things can change up, especially in the city of New York where one, one week when he gets drafted, um, he's in the headlines and saying, Oh, this is going to be a bust of a pick. And now this, the next day, it was like, oh, he looks pretty good and stuff like that, all on the papers, on, on everything, and it's gonna be like that for the for the remainder of his career until he finally gets his first start and he takes over the team. Because the second he starts, Eli Manning's probably gonna be out of the league because the the way the Giants organization's working right now, they're gonna wanna keep Eli Manning in for the enti- for the duration of this season, probably in the next season, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know they try to milk as much out of him as he, as they can. But I don't know if you saw that. Uh, Little interview they did when they caught when the the press caught up with uh, John Mara and he was saying I'm hoping Daniel Jones doesn't see the field this year because that means Eli Manning is is having a great year and that's what he's hoping to see this year so yeah so he's definitely looking to not have Daniel Jones play a second on the field not even a down yeah and so with that being said uh, do you think it's do do you think it's best case scenario that Daniel Jones sits behind Eli Manning for another two and a half years say. Like, if that third year doesn't end up well by midseason and they throw Daniel Jones in there, do you think that's his best scenario? Or do you think throwing him into the Wolves by next year when Eli Manning may or may not call it quits, and I don't think he will because he doesn't miss any games, do you think that's better for him? Or do you think staying behind him is the best thing for him to do?
2: I wouldn't be surprised if they kept him... They're making it sound like they want Daniel Jones to kind of learn from Eli. So I would not be surprised if this year they keep him... On the bench as much as possible. And then possibly next year, it's more of a, a quarterback battle.
1: Yeah, I definitely would like to see a quarterback battle because there's definitely a lot of adversity we'd have to go through. But I feel like the way the Giants organization's working is Daniel Jones is only going to be able to start once Eli Manning's out. There's not going to be much of a battle there. Like, yes, you're going to have a little mini battle. If, if I don't know if they're going to trade Loletta, there's trade rumblings about him. You know, the Eagles just lost Nate Sudville in a preseason game. But, yeah. um, but maybe that'll happen maybe there's you know some quarterback competition if if is still there per se or if Tanny's still there i don't think these guys are long term roster spots but say they draft a quarterback next year in the second round it's a highly touted quarterback draft class and they need some depth in that uh quarterback room there if there's a if there's a quarterback uh battle to see who could be the either the backup or the starter that'd be definitely a great thing to see um but for Daniel Jones' sake, for me, is I think sitting behind Eli for a while is the best thing to do. I know a lot of Giants fans and a lot of fans in general, just because of the skepticism that they have towards the, the Giants organization, that they want to see Daniel Jones go out there. I think being patient as much as possible behind Eli Manning is the best thing to do. We're not talking about some Aaron Rodgers, who is considered one of the best talents in the NFL, sitting behind another all-time great in Brett Favre and you're just he's just waiting for his time to come in again I think he sat out at least three and a half years four years before he went in and to actually start and take over the Green Bay organization so and take and take over the team but it's not the case for Daniel Jones he's still a developing quarterback and he's considered a talent that's not supposed to be a first-round talent um especially of that caliber so I think sitting behind him I think that's probably his best option in my opinion yeah I agree with that and mind you, this isn't his last preseason game. I mean, we're going to see him go out there again. He's possibly going to throw an interception. I mean, we saw we saw uh, Dwayne Haskins go out there, who's supposed to be selected probably at the number six pick or maybe even above that, depending on who needed a quarterback. And he was the second highest-touted quarterback in that draft behind Kyler Murray, of course. And he threw two interceptions. Like, it was nothing. Yeah, he did not look well. He did not do well at all. His first pass wasn't too bad, but we're talking, like, you know, two interceptions, people look at the stats, and they're already writing him off as a bust. I I, 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 That's why I think it's best for Daniel Jones to kind of just be his own person and stay behind Eli Manning as much as he can, because the second he comes in, um, there shouldn't be any doubts. I feel like if you throw him out into the Wolves immediately, he's he's going to be in some trouble. This isn't the, the, the last team he's going to be, be versing. They versed the, the Jets um, during the season this year again, um but it's not it's not going to be of the same type of game it's not going to be the backups it's going to be the starters and trust me he believe it or not Giants fans that are listening right now he's not going to go five for five ten for ten no matter how long they leave him in there because I think they left Tanny in there for like the third and fourth quarter but he's going to throw an interception at some point it's inevitable it's going to happen and the second he does just watch this New York media just eat him up and just you know just say he's a bust the second he throws one pick
0: yeah, I mean, it's that's the thing. He did well. He, did, he was perfect during the preseason game, so how do you trash the guy? But I feel like it's at the point to whenever he slips up a little bit, it's going to be over-exaggerated in that direction as well.
1: Yeah. And one last thing I wanted to point out with uh, Daniel Jones is, uh, do you think the narrative in the NFL that once you draft a quarterback, like, you know, last year, Josh Allen um, – uh, Josh Rosen, and Sam Darnold. Those guys where it was a highly touted draft class. And Lamar Lamar Jackson, can't forget about him. They kind of threw him out into the wolves a little bit. Lamar Jackson was a different story because Joe Flacco was still in there and he had that big contract to live up to. But, And now he's on the Broncos. But you have Sam Darnold, who's a young quarterback, and he was – unanimously going to be the starting quarterback of the Jets regardless of if Josh McCown's having the better reps in practice or anything like that Sam Darnold's going to be thrown in there he's going to learn from Josh McCown he has no other choice um, Josh Allen same kind of thing Bills don't really have an option Uh, Josh Rosen same thing but you know he was in one of the worst teams in the league at the moment he didn't have an offensive line no weapons or anything and you see how he struggled now he's on a different team so look at Sam Darnold for example he had no other choice but to be the starter and he pretty much didn't have a chance to learn from anything, anyone or anything as soon as he came in. Obviously, that took a little bit of time, and him coming in wasn't the greatest. Do you think it's best to throw your quarterback out there into the Wolves immediately for him to get better and get that experience, or do you think you know, waiting a bit and reading defenses better is, is the best way to go? Because why can't a quarterback just be a quarterback and learn for a bit? Now it's got to be like, he's got to start right away. He's got to learn how to do this right now and get that experience and be sacked 10 times in order to find out, uh, what he should do next? What do you think is the best option to do in today's NFL?
0: Well, I feel like with the NFL now, I feel like the preseason is the whole reason why that's where you throw these guys out and I know they're not playing like you know first team reps they're not getting that defense out there, but that's kind of like a like a preview to what you're gonna get. So I feel like that's why the preseason is important now because you could throw these guys out there and see what they can do and if you don't like what you're seeing, then you're like, okay, maybe we during the regular season we keep them behind as a backup and we really have them work with the starting quarterback and try to build them to what we want but if you see them in the preseason and they're doing well it it, it could be like all right you know maybe we're going to we're going to move forward with this guy it's again an indicator of whether they do well or bad uh or if they do bad that, that's how they're going to do in the regular season but i feel like it's a better it's kind of like you're testing the waters
1: i feel like it's best to test the waters a bit but um I'm telling you, man, in today's NFL, when once you draft a quarterback, you're going to want to use him right away. I feel like the Giants are going to be one of the last teams in the NFL to actually, you know, groom their quarterback a little bit. I mean, the Patriots are—actually, the Patriots might be because they're doing that right now, probably with Jared Stidham. Uh, but they previously did that with Jimmy Garoppolo before being traded to the 49ers, and now he got a big payday. So, I think— he the Patriots obviously are a little old school, but I feel like every other team now, as soon as they get their hands on a quarterback, especially going into next year's draft, whoever grabs to a to a Tekavailoa or, you know, Jake Fromm or something like that, they're gonna want to start them right away.
0: Most likely. Yeah. They're they're pretty talented guys.
1: So moving on from the Giants preseason a little bit, I kinda wanted to jump into some news, maybe mix it around a little bit, and then we'll jump into the NFC East. Uh but the news reported today that Golden Tate um uh, Was denied of his appeal of his four-game suspension for substance abuse policy, uh, for fertility planning, and I discussed this in my last podcast. I didn't have a guest on, so I wasn't able to have a second opinion on it. So I want to bring it up one more time. How come players who take an unknown substance and they're unaware of it, and you have players like, um, what's his name on the Titans? I I don't. I'm so bad with names, man. (laughs) Why do I forget names? But uh, I'll stick with with Golden Tate for a second, okay. He takes a substance that he wasn't aware of uh, with his doctor for fertility planning, and he gets suspended, you know, without any form of you know fair warning or we could you know maybe try to work this out and appeal it and see what happens and see what's what and see what the facts are. But instead, for players like Zeke, you know, Kareem Hunt, and Tyree Kill don't get any form of suspension. Um, for domestic violence, what do you, what do you think of this situation and that situation in general? Because this isn't the last time we're gonna be we're gonna be seeing something like this.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like, for example, you're bringing up like you know using PEDs or using some sort of substance is not allowed. I feel like you know from from that process they go through. There's like I think there's different, like there's there's a sample like they they go through different testing for that to make sure that it's definitely. Something that that's coming up—it's not a false test or anything—and I feel like the difference between these um, these you know domestic violence cases and the PEDs where they get drug tested is there's there's really no gray area when you're getting drug tested—you either become come positive or you're, you don't. Whereas with domestic violence, it's not oh you did it or you didn't—it's kind of like oh well you did this this and this, but it, there's no evidence or there's no proof or there's no video so we don't have enough to say that you definitely did it. That's where I feel like the difference is.
1: But the main issue with weed is that there's visual evidence that Kareem Hunt kicked a woman from TMZ and was still picked up by the Browns probably a couple of weeks later. And yeah, Roman, well, he, same thing he, with he's Roman suspended, Foster, man.
0: But, but uh, Hunt is suspended, what, like the first eight games or something?
1: No, I don't think he's getting a suspension at all. I think they turned pretty- that over. Oh, because last time I heard, I thought he was still suspended. I'm gonna I'm gonna look into that one more time before this podcast ends. But uh, I saw that he may not even be serving those six games.
0: Yeah, because he that's a different scenario. Because I know with Tyreek Hill, he there was audio, but I don't think there was actual video evidence of anything. Like they heard him yelling and and screaming and making comments to the his girlfriend or wife, whoever it was, or the, and the child. But I don't think there was any actual video evidence. And I feel like that's kind of where he got his leeway.
1: But I feel like the second there is a domestic violence case, there should be action involved. And I've talked about this with you multiple times. The Chiefs have been very, very good with this scenario because the second Kareem Hunt was shown in a video, they immediately kicked him off the team without knowing any... You know, circumstances that happened at the time, like what, like how did it lead up to that or anything? They didn't look into that before kicking him off the team. The second it came out, we're releasing him. And I mm-hmm. think they were pretty good at that. And with Tyreek Hill's case, um, again, it was with audio, like you said before, but again, it's come up again and again. And this happened, I'll go back to Reuben Foster for a second. So he's had allegations brought up on him when he was at the 49ers. And I think around like the third or fourth time, however many times he was, uh, uh, uh you know blame for it they kicked them off the team and then the Redskins picked them up like shortly after that so I think there is you know a little a little gray area there where the NFL is kind of like hey this guy's talented we need to fill up our depth chart we're not sure what's going to happen with this issue but there was a big big investigation of Ruben Foster showing that you know his girlfriend was lying and she was trying to get him, you know, just pretty much ruined his career. And that's what kind of revived his career a little bit. And he's lucky to even be on an NFL team. But I feel like you really have to launch a very internal investigation, especially with the NFL, before even deciding for for these guys to not be suspended or not. And I feel like the second these guys are blamed for it, they should immediately get punishment and then you know, try to get out of it with the NFLPA and stuff like that. I feel like, you know, obviously with the criminal justice system, now you're innocent until proven guilty. Obviously that's not, you know, what's going on right now. Like in this world, usually you're guilty before proven innocent. But in the NFL's case, the second something comes out with a player, I feel like he should be guilty and then be proven not guilty. I feel like that would be the best way to go about it, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where it's tough because like, for example, Golden Tate, he came out and he appealed it, but there are some people, like I don't know any off the top of my head, uh, I think Edelman was like this, where he came out and he was just like, yep, like I did it, I'm guilty, and he did try to fight it. I mean, it's tough because the people that try to appeal it and know that they did it but just want to try to get out of it, they kind of ruin it for the people that are appealing it and maybe didn't know what they were getting into in terms of like draw like the performance enhancing drugs maybe they truly didn't know that it was something that was banned or it came out you know mid-season and like they're they weren't aware i mean because it's not always on them it should be them to know what's getting put in their body but it's these trainers are that's their job to make sure that these guys are you know they're going up to their full ability and it's kind of like if they they should know that something's banned but
1: I mean, uh, I know it's the player's responsibility to know what they're putting in their body and everything like that, but to kind of stay on the domestic violence topic because I wanna jump into Taylor the one who I wanted to mention before, but I forgot his name. Mm-hmm. I just haven't heard from him in a while, but remember Zeke uh, I don't know if this was like what two, three years ago, I think it was two, yeah, two years ago, there was rumors that he was just gonna be suspended for the first quarter games, first two games of the season, possibly four you know in that time span, usually that's how many sus- you know suspended games they give someone. Mm-hmm. But he ended up being suspended by like late in the season. What, like like week it was, fourteen or something? Yeah, it like was like
0: the middle of the season. Yeah. Middle of
1: the season. Yeah. So that dispute went back and forth with his appeals and stuff like that, all the way up till the end of the season. So how come automatically, just by yeah? You know, I guess it's so black and white. I guess they have a no tolerance thing with that, where you have to suspend someone over a banned substance, but. They really got to get this domestic violence thing, you know, together, man. I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, it, it's it's really... It's a bad look. It's a bad look. It is. And
0: and it's kind of turned into, well, who are you, who you are and if you're like kind of like what you mentioned, if you're a big guy or you're a big name, you might get a less harsh penalty because of who you are or whatever, what team you're on. And it's kind of like, in my opinion, the rules are the rules. And if, if this is a case, it should be a universal rule. That, you know, you, if this is the situation and there's a domestic violence, whether it ha- whether it's good bad, it doesn't matter. It's domestic violence. You should be suspended this many games. Everybody.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. That would be a great way to go about it. I'm not sure why, within the NFL and the NFLPA and Roger Goodell, everyone involved, why is it never a set-in-stone punishment immediately for any allegation? Because once there's an allegation, it's a possibility that you did do it. It's, there's never a 100% possibility that you didn't do it. So, you know, and if there is someone trying to ruin your career over something you didn't do, an investiga- investigation with the police and everyone to find out what happened. And eventually you can find that out. There, If there's no evidence to prove him guilty, then he'll he's fine. Then revoke that suspension. But I feel like waiting to find out if he did it first is the wrong way to go about it. Because mind you, Zeke probably could have been out that whole season. He was lucky enough to be able to play until the end of that season or the midseason season. Mm -hmm. Uh, before getting suspended, and that's not a way they should go about it. So like I mentioned before, uh, Kareem Hunt, he is suspended um, for those games like you mentioned before. I just wanted to get that out of the way there. So I don't know why I got the information that he wasn't, but you know, mind you, it took him to sign with a different team for very, very minimum money um, and then get a suspension before anything happens. So it's not like he was punished before getting signed. He was punished Mm -hmm. after yeah uh so let's jump into taylor one taylor lewan for a second so he was suspended for su- another substance abuse abuse policy um issue and he even came out with a video and said i took a lie detector test i've done i've i live by football i love football and i never want to do anything wrong i was just unaware that anything that it was in it and his results came back that said he wasn't he wasn't lying when he said he didn't know and he's still going to be suspended for the, for the first four games of the season as well. And like I said before, there's a no-tolerance thing with substance abuse. Regardless of what he says to prove himself, to say that he's telling the truth, you're still suspended those four games. Yeah, but see how they handled that. That's how it should be with everybody, but that's
0: not the case. That's not how it is with everybody. I don't want to name-drop anybody specific, but if if you're somebody from a bigger team, or a more successful team, or a big name like you've proven yourself, they might have taken the lie detector test into consideration.
1: Yeah, I, I, I just... It's so confusing, man, and hopefully the NFL gets that together soon because with the NFL players and the way their upbringing is, some of them have different morals than others, and you're going to find more of these. This isn't the last time we're going to get some domestic violence dispute happening with the NFL and so there's got to be a, a set rule man because in society outside of the NFL the second you're accused of anything domestic violence you're pretty much shunned for for from that from the person you abuse their family and everyone and you can't see that person ever again it's just the way real life works and I feel like once you're in the NFL it's like you can play it's like you can play around with what's good and what's bad and that's sh- that shouldn't be that way. Yeah, I agree. Uh so en- enough of that. I just wanted to get a second opinion with you there and I- I'm glad I got you know, a second opinion on it, but uh, let's jump into the NFC East a little bit and uh, see what's up. Maybe we'll jump into some preseason here and there because, uh, again, uh, there, should, there should be games tomorrow, right? Am I not wrong? Yes, there are I, games. Yeah, there'll be games tomorrow. I'll talk about that later on in the week. I'll have an, probably I'll have another episode out later in the week as well. Um, but again, the NFC East, we talked about the Giants a little bit. Last thing on Golden Tate, because I'm kind of looking at their uh, depth chart here. Uh, golden tate is looking to probably sue the doctor that prescribes him prescribed him the medication um, yeah so that goes to show you even more that he's willing to take further action even after his punishment to prove himself right but um yeah jumping into the season here let's let's, let's move on with the giants here and uh talk a little bit more we talked about daniel jones a little bit so enough of that um so what, what do i got what do i got we got a couple of injuries so deandre uh looks like deandre baker um is going to be injured, and he apparently supposedly he dodged a big bullet for yeah I think it was like a knee sprain that he came down with, and it may yeah. been like a torn ACL. Yeah. Um, let's talk about their wide receiver core, though. Even though their defense is probably going to look to hold up a little bit, um, health wise, their offense doesn't look like it is. um We have Corey Coleman has a torn ACL, as we mentioned before. A Golden Tate is uh, suspended for the first four games of the season. Uh, their fourth-round pick, uh, Darius Slayton, is in and out of injuries. He's been questionable ever since training camp started. Sterling, uh, Sterling Shepard is looking to be ready by week one, but he has a broken thumb or some issue going on with him. It looks to me right now the guys that they could be going with is guys like Benny Fowler, Russell Shepard, Alonzo Russell, uh, Cody Latimer, and Darius Slayton will probably be questionable week in and week out. He'll probably play, though. Um. Is this is this this has got to be a bad sign for the Giants, right? Because with a division that's getting better and better each year, uh, you know especially like defensively, the Eagles are going to have a pretty spectacular defensive season. The Cowboys have you know all stars on their defense, and you know that's going to hold them afloat for a little bit because those offenses can hold themselves up on their own. The Giants, however, their defense is whatever. Now their now their offense is definitely like we're worried here. So. What's the move here? Do they have to send another wide receiver before the pre before the season starts or are they going to go with these guys and hope for the best? No,
0: I mean what I would do is I think the the best decision for them is to watch because, you know, teams are going to be making cuts very soon out of their their te- what they have right now. And just because one team cuts a player does not mean that they're not NFL material. It just means that they didn't have room for them on that team. And I feel like the Giants can really, you know, watch films on some of these guys. And if they release somebody, like another team releases somebody, you know, you already know what you've seen out of them this season. Why not take a shot at them?
1: Yeah, I got you there. So I think that's going to be their best option is keeping the guys they have in-house right now. I I don't think they're just going to go out of the ordinary and try to sign some free agent wide receiver, uh, mostly because – I'm not sure because they, they actually just signed a defensive back. Like I think today or yesterday, I, I saw something um, on Instagram, but they haven't been their Their first initial moves haven't been to sign wide receivers. But again, you get golden Tate back by week four, but again, four weeks is a big jump, especially in the NFL. Um, hopefully when he comes back, he'll, you know, perform the way he does, especially what he did with the lions. He's not a bad wide receiver. He is up there in age. Eli Manning's playing. He's substantial. Does it mean we're going to get a huge season from Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram? Um, I would say that for the first four weeks, I would definitely say
0: the offense is going to lean on them. From that point on, they're still going to be very important, but I think Tate is a very good receiver in terms of he can make the people miss and he can just make you know yards after the catch. He's big on that. So that'll be a big jump for that offense, but I think Barkley and Ingram will be huge in the first couple games.
1: Yeah, because mind you, when Odell was hurt that one season, I think two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, um, Evan Ingram had a phenomenal season. I think it was his rookie season, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, he, he had a great year. Yeah, a phenomenal year. And then the next year, you know, everyone comes back and, you know, Saquon comes in from the draft and they don't have to utilize him as much. And now he's pretty much back to where he was his rookie season, where there's no one to throw to uh, Evan Ingram, who is the tight end. Um, who is built like a wide receiver. He's going to be getting the ball a lot, and I think he's going to be a big red zone target as well because everyone's going to be expecting Barkley to be running into the end zone. Yeah. What do you think of the offensive line coming in this year? Again, we got Nate Solder who signed that massive deal. Will Hernandez, who was the second-round pick last year, who was highly touted to be a first-round pick, but he fell to the Giants in the second round. Uh, John Jalapio coming back from injury, and in Spencer Poley being their backup who who pretty much filled in the shoes for him and he held up his own, so if any injury happens, we got Spencer Pulley in there. Uh, Kevin Zeitler, who was in the trade for Odell Beckham Jr., uh, and he's a he's a very, very solid uh, offensive lineman. Again, he's been with the Browns, and he's been with the Bengals, and when he was with the Bengals, he was also um, alongside Andrew Whitworth, who was one of the best offensive linemen in the league, um, and then Mike Remmers, who was signed from the, uh, the Vikings in the offseason. Do you think this sounds a lot better now I mean, you, you could you could read off the names and think, yes, this is a suitable offensive line. But do you think this is the year Nate Solder puts it together? Again, it is he going to be the Nate Solder that he was in New England? Do you think Will Hernandez finally, you know, um, shook it off a little bit his first year? He's coming into this second year. He knows what he's expecting. John Jalapio is coming in stronger than ever now. Kevin Zeitler is a solid, solid offensive lineman. Um, and Mike Remmers, who was from the Vikings, and it's just another name to put in there because Jihad Wheeler was uh, filling in for Eric Flowers before he was uh, – you know, traded to the Jaguars and now with the Redskins?
0: Uh, I mean, I don't know in terms of the Nate Solder. I don't know if he was necessarily going to get back to what he was like in New England. But I think that's more, I don't think that's as much of a concern because I feel like the offensive line is improving. And I feel like he doesn't have to be to what he was there because they, everyone around him is getting better. He doesn't have to be this huge all-star. Obviously, you want somebody that you paid all that money for. You want them to be an all-star. I don't know if he's going to be that, but I think overall everybody around him is going to be better, and that offensive line is going to look better this year.
1: I agree with you. I definitely think it's going to help him, but the issue is, I think the Giants are expecting that when they sign Nate Solder, they're expecting the Nate Solder that was in New England and now to be even better because he got his money. That's where I think the issue comes in now. If they think from the standpoint that you're thinking of that everyone's going to get better around him, um, which will help him out, I, I agree with that, but I think... Everyone and the fans of the New York Giants are expecting Nate Solder to be even he's, they're expecting him to play like a Super Bowl champion because that's what he is. Um, yeah, but. I mean, I, I think that
0: they also they gave him his money because they wanted him to do to be talented. But I feel like they also were forced to give him that money because there was another offensive lineman. That Andrew you Norwell. Yeah, you guys were s- supposed to get him and then he slipped through your guys fingers and you were kind of like, we need this help. So you had to sign Nate Solder.
1: I think so too, but Nate Solder isn't the worst signing in the world. And again, no, Andrew no, Norwell, he's not bad at all. He, Andrew Norwell is dealing with injury right now, and that's the last thing the Giants' offensive line needs. And I think Nate Solder is more durable, and I think he's a solid offensive lineman. I definitely think he'll probably put it together this year. I feel like there's no ex- there. There should be no excuse for this offensive line to underperform, um, other than you know pa- pass rush coming in. They, they have a pretty tough schedule coming into this year, of course, especially playing. Um, you know, again, a lot of their former players are now with the Redskins. They're in the same division, which is a is a bad thing. And also on the Cowboys, they just re-signed um, – what's his name? Lawrence. Yeah. And, and you know, the Eagles still have their Super Bowl defense lined up. They kept everyone. So they're going to have some issues in division. Um, Hopefully these wide receivers just can hold up their own a little bit because uh, we're going to have a solid running game regardless because Saquon Barkley can run whether there's a line there or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, if I had to do like a brief rundown of every team in in that division,
0: I'd say the Giants, obviously, like what you just mentioned, they have that wide receiver issue um, because of injuries. I'd say that the Cowboys, as long as they can get these deals done, are pretty solid. But the way it's looking, Dak is wanting a ton of money, $40 million, whether that's correct or not. And I don't know if they're going to be paying him that. I don't think they should. Zeke is saying he's not going to play unless he gets a contract. And we don't know what's going on with Amari Cooper. He's not as big in the headlines as the other two. So that's very scary for that offense right there. Um, I mean, the the Redskins, they're still a quarterback battle. You don't know who the quarterback is going to be going into week one. And it seems like they, they could start off well, but I feel like they always have bad luck and something goes wrong for them. Um, and then you got the Eagles. The Eagles are probably the most put-together team in your division
1: yeah but if, we'll, if i we'll jump into the more in a second but i want to jump into their defense because like i mentioned before it's kind of like bleh compared to all the other defenses in this division um so we have their first round pick who um they traded up for that she didn't trade it up for that was the 17th pick which is the uh odell pick uh dexter lawrence then we have Dalvin tomlinson who's been with the team for a while uh, we have B.J. Hill, who was drafted last year, I think in the fifth round, if I'm not mistaken. And then mm-hmm. you have Lorenzo Carter, who was drafted last year as well. Uh, and then we have O'Shane X-Men, uh, and then we have Alec Ogletree, um, who had a pretty solid year last year. A lot of the picks that fell to him kind of just like ended up in his hands, and I don't think he earned any of them. I don't know if you saw any of them, but I did. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of them kind of just fell in his lap, and he kind of was just like, "All right, I'm going to do what I can with this." But um, other, nevertheless, I think he's a pretty solid um, inside linebacker Then we have B.J. Goodson, uh, Kareem Martin, Jabril Peppers, who was in the Odell trade Antoine Bethea, Janoris Jenkins, and DeAndre Baker, who came in And we have Sam Beal coming coming back, who was the, uh, uh, I think it was the supplementary draft he was picked in And he's a pretty solid pickup We have Julian Love, who was drafted this year Michael Thomas signed last year Uh, coming over from the Dolphins. And then Marcus Golden, who was signed from the – he was a free agent from Arizona, I think, as well. Uh, Nate Stupar. This is the depth that we kind of have now. Uh, There's really no – this is kind of a no-set depth chart. i just kind of putting up these names out here and see who could possibly end up in the starting lineup. Um, But let's not forget, we also have Corey Ballantyne, uh, who had an interception in his first first, uh, preseason game, which is pretty Mm -hmm. solid to look at. What is the ceiling for this defense and how far could they go? Because I could tell uh, James Betcher, who is their defensive coordinator, saw that he's worked previously with players like Bethay, who was on the Cardinals. And he's like, hey, listen, if we sign these guys and know how to work with them, I'll bring them in. And maybe we'll bring in some new defensive players in the upcoming draft. And we'll just build from there. We'll give them some veteran minimum deals. We'll give them one year deals and see where we can go. Was that a. Was that a good move by the Giants, and where could their ceiling be considering now they have free agents that James Betcher knew who, who they were when he was with the, um, Arizona?
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like they, as you mentioned, they drafted a lot of defensive backs, and even last year they got some new guys in terms of their defensive backs and defensive linemen. Uh, and then they brought in two guys from Arizona. I feel like this is now Betcher trying to morph. Because when you have young guys, they, have, they haven't gotten fit into a system yet. So you can kind of morph them into whatever you want. So I feel like the 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 you know Antoine Bethea, and then you said Golden is that who you said the other one was
1: Yeah Marcus Golden
0: So so you got those two who are like older veterans who can kind of mentor these younger guys and they know the system So I feel like that's going to they're going to be like crucial in in getting this whole defense to really click and all get on page like all on the same page
1: So do you, do you, so you obviously think this is a good thing and obviously for a defense sake um, you're going to need all the help you can get, especially for a Giants defense. But um, is there, what's their ceiling going to be this year? And I'll end it on this. Do, what do you think their record is going to be, say, Eli plays this entire season, which I think is going to be um, the outcome because they're trying to keep Daniel Jones behind them at all costs. They don't want to throw him out there at all. Saquon Barkley is going to come into this year, again, rookie of the year. He's on, He's He pretty much ended on a high note last year. Again, we went over the wide receivers where this team collectively will they be towards the end of the season next year?
0: Um, I think that they'll how end up year, with, with like six or seven wins. I don't think they're going to do awful, but I don't think they're going to do amazing. I think they're going to do better than, than last year, but I feel like that start off at the beginning with the this receiving core, how they're all banged up. I feel like it's going to, they're going to be off to a slower start. So it's going to, it's going to hurt them a little bit in the beginning.
1: Does the fact that they went five and eleven last year give you a little bit of you know hope that they get six or seven wins again? Two more wins of last season—that's not much. So it doesn't look like you're you're saying you're pretty much saying w- without even mentioning it that they're not going to be a playoff team, and that's not hard to figure out. But you think they're a better team from who they drafted and the the experience that they'll bring in, regardless of their wide receiver core, that. They'll win probably six, maybe seven games if they're lucky, or will they be five and eleven again? Or do you really think do you really believe six wins will be their ceiling?
0: See, I think that their team this is what I think. I think their team has got has improved in terms of like, you know, the defense, how you're talking about the offensive line. I think those have improved. Saquon is Saquon, you know what you're gonna get out of him. Um I feel like with losing Odell, it's it's gonna be interesting because he he obviously is very talented, one of the most talented wide receivers in the league, but he also brought the whole, you know, all this drama, all this bad attention, and you don't really know how that impacted the team. So yes, you're missing that talent on that team, but now it's kind of like, you know, is, is Sterling Shepard going to be able to step up? And if he can step up, I feel like they'll be okay.
1: Yeah, I I can see where you're coming from there. But the last thing I'll say on the Giants, because again we got three more NFC teams to covers in the NFC East, and uh, we'll move We'll breeze through them pretty quickly because, uh, again, a lot of drama in uh, New York always, especially um, with the pick they made this year. But I feel like now with Odell gone, a lot of defenses don't have to queue on up him, queue up on him as much as they used to. And I feel like now since now they have to queue in on Saquon Barkley and where he's going to be running the ball. I feel like Saquon is so versatile. And the fact that he's getting the ball instantly instead of – because of his position, obviously, and not Eli tossing the ball to Odell or throwing to someone else. And, you know, a lot of those can end up being interceptions or incompletions. you got to get the ball to Odell somehow. And now with mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley being in the backfield, he gets the ball right away. He's very elusive and he can move upfield very easily. And now if defense defenses have to, you know, queue up on him more than they used to – I feel like now um, that takes the pressure off the wide receiver group. And, you know, I feel like that's that's a much better way to go about it now than with Odell on the team. And like you said before, I agree with you that the lo- with the locker room not having, say, um, Odell on the team, um, that takes a lot of pressure off. And, again, I hear it in the media all the time. They say apparently he was, you know, crazy in the locker room and he's hard to deal with. And you see him in the media all the time and the things he says brings unwanted attention – but supposedly he was a pretty good guy in the locker room which I don't believe but I do believe the aspect that him bringing all this attention and onto the he- new brand new head coach and brand new you know coaching staff that was definitely a bad thing but um I agree I agree with you there that this might end up being a good thing but we'll see in the long run. All right. So you ready to jump into the Eagles now? Yep. All right. So let's get into it here. I'll start it off. Uh, so we'll go with Carson Wentz for a second. He just signed a massive deal um, with the Eagles. He is their long-term, court- long-term quarterback, which comes as no surprise. Um, Nick Foles uh, left to sign a major deal with, with the Jaguars. We'll see how that plays out with him. They bring in Jordan Howard, who they traded uh, with the Bears, I think, for a fourth rounder. And uh, they also drafted Miles Sanders. So this is a big thing, and I think about this all the time with the Philadelphia Eagles. Jordan Howard was brought in at first when before they even went into the draft. I saw a guy who is going to revive his career. He was a guy in um, Chicago who wasn't getting the ball as much as he should have, or or should I say this? Because he got he got a lot of t- he got a lot of touches, definitely, especially um, before Matt Nagy came around. But when Matt Nagy Matt Nagy came around, um, Tariq Cohen also came around, and you were able to utilize both of those guys. So he wasn't getting the touches that he needed. But he was getting the ball a pretty good amount and not doing much with it. But when he was in the red zone, he could possibly get in the end zone. He possibly possibly couldn't get in the end zone. But I feel like when when I first heard that he was going to uh, Philadelphia, that was going to be his time to shine. But then they draft a guy, I believe in the third round, Miles Sanders. What do you think of this guy? And what do you think um, his ceiling is going to be this year? Do you think he overshadows Jordan Howard? Do you think Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders collectively will share the ball together um, to the point where you could have – two pretty solid backs in the backfield and they'll both produce pretty well.
2: I think they're going to kind of share the, the backfield because if you remember Jordan Howard recently on the Bears, he was not somebody that racked up a lot of yards but he would get touchdowns. So he, his, a typical stat day for him could be like 45 rushing yards and two touchdowns. That could be like a normal day for him. Um, you know, with with Miles, we don't, we don't really know what to expect out of him. He's a rookie. We don't know how he's going to transition into the NFL. But I feel like they could use him like he could be this kind of passing back. He could be this guy that can really be the more of like the work, take all the workload or like the workhorse. And Jordan Howard's kind of a big guy. And I feel like he could still do a lot as well. So I feel like they're going to really complement each other.
1: Because I feel like for me, I feel like this may end up being the same thing that happened in Chicago where Tariq Cohen comes in and he kind of steals the show. Do you think this is a possibility of happening to Jordan Howard again? Or do you think it'll be an, an even balance between the two?
2: I mean, I feel like – I don't think that they would do that because they picked him up first. They picked up Howard first, and then they drafted. So I feel like they know – they they picked up Jordan Howard for a reason. I don't think they picked him up to not use him.
1: Gotcha. Um, so let's jump into the wide receiver core for a second. So they got Alshon Jeffries still. Um, again, Super Bowl champion. is with that Super Bowl team. Um, again, he was with Nick Foles, but now he's got Carson Wentz at his disposal, which could be a good thing um, as long as Carson Wentz stays healthy. Uh, we have Deshaun Jackson coming back to Philadelphia. What do you think of that move? Um, and do you think – again, the Eagles he was on years ago is a whole different team than he is on now. There was It wasn't the same quarterback. It wasn't the same head coach. You bring him in now, do you think this is a better environment for him to be in, especially when he was with the Bucks and they were awful last year? Um, and then they have Nelson Aguilar. And this wide receiver group is very talented. Do you think Deshaun Jackson will show signs of his old self – Because I think there's still glimpses of him in there where he can perform to the, you know, the status he was years ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it's a very different team. And I feel like then he was more of looked at as that guy that needed to kind of produce in order for them to do well. Like he was the punt returner. He was the, the kickoff returner. He was the guy that would be streaking down the field and outrunning defenders. Whereas I feel like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to step up as much anymore. He kind of just needs to do what, he has to, like what they ask of him. He doesn't need to be above and beyond the superstar because the other receivers that they have, and they have a great tight end, they're, they're good. They, they have a good team, and they have a winning team, and they're on the rise because they won the Super Bowl two years ago. They made it back to the playoffs. Like they're still doing well. So I feel like he's going to be more of a compliment to them. He's not going to be a superstar for them. He's just going to compliment that deep threat, and kind of like the special teams for them.
1: Yeah, and I've heard this multiple times that Deshaun Jackson is a Giants killer. So him coming back to the NFC East, I think it's probably one of the biggest things for him. And I think he knows that because whenever he goes up against the Giants, he somehow kills them. It's kind of like T- uh, T.Y. Hilton with the Texans. It's kind of like that. Yeah. And, um yeah, so when they first brought him back, I thought it was an amazing move because I guess the front office and the GM already knew the way he performed back then when they weren't even considered contenders and – um they were a team that was looking to really shape themselves. Still, now it's a shaped team. They already won a Super Bowl. They just got to capitalize on what they won. So, again, like we mentioned, Nelson Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey, those guys are pretty solid guys. We don't have to get into them as much. Um, but we have Zach Ertz, who is a solid guy on, uh, as a tight end. Again, he's their superstar. Um, I think he's going to perform pretty solid. And I'll jump into their um, their uh, let's uh, let's see uh, their offensive line for a second because the, these are the guys who are going to have to put it together. And, you know, there's injuries year in and year out with these guys. Um, but we have Jason Peters, who's back fully healthy. Um, Andre Dillard was their are um, picking the draft, right, I think, in the first round? Yeah. Yeah, so Andre Dillard will eventually fill that role. So they're looking to reload that position after Jason Peters gone. Um, they have Isaac uh, Sumalo. I don't know how to pronounce his name. But they have Jason Kelsey, who signed a one-year deal. He be done after this season. Uh, Brandon Brooks is pretty solid. And then Lane Johnson. Um, who's always injured year in and year out, but he always seems to perform to the top level that he performs at because he's one of the better offensive linemen in the league. Do you see any um, underperformance or you know anything like that happening in, in for this offensive line, especially with the weapons that they have? Do you think they'll perform as well as they will and keep Carson Wentz healthy? Because, again, uh, when Carson Wentz first got injured, it was because he, I think he was uh, rushing into the end zone, right? So that wasn't even the offensive line's issue. But, um, again, the way he scrambles out of the pocket and he's a mobile quarterback, um, do you think they they have what it takes to keep him in the backfield and actually give him enough time to throw in the pocket instead of him having to scramble all the time?
2: Well, I I mean, everybody knew when Nick Foles got uh, signed by the Jaguars, everybody knew, like, okay, that was their reliable source that if Carson Wentz goes down with an injury like he has in the past, okay, we're just going to rely on him. And once he was gone, their safety blanket was kind of gone. So that now I feel like their offensive line realizes they need to step up and they really, really need to protect him because you don't know who you're going to have backing him up and you don't know what's going to happen. You've lucked out in the past where your backup has stepped up and really helped and gotten you through playoffs into Super Bowls and winning that. You don't know if the, the guy that you now have, whoever that ends up being by the start of the season, you don't know if that's really going to be the case and especially with putting in Deshaun Jackson, he's more of a deep threat. You're going to need to hold that line so that you can let him run his route and get open. We're not running, We're not throwing slants here to where you have two seconds and you can get the ball out. A, a deep route, you got to outrun. It needs time to develop. So I feel like they need to also adapt in that situation as well.
1: I feel like at this point in Carson Wentz's career, since he signed that contract, he's in for the long haul now, so he has, really has to avoid injuries. Do you think at this point in his career, like I mentioned before, um, I was talking about their lineman and how they should really protect Carson Wentz. This is the point in his career now. He had his fun scrambling and everything. He should really become a pocket passer at this point, only run when he has to, kind of like Russell Wilson.
2: Uh, Yes, especially since his injuries. I would say he should try to avoid running as much as he can.
1: Yeah, that would be probably his best option. Hopefully we could see him really become a pocket passer because, um, yeah, he can run outside the pocket, he can avoid defenders, but he had that ACL injury. He had, you know... Um. Didn't he have an another injury as well? I'm not sure why it's not coming up to me.
0: He had a
2: back injury.
1: Yeah, back injury, right? I thought for some reason I was confusing elbow and back, but he also has that type of injury. So I feel like while he's young and still getting his money, avoiding injury and being able to step back in the pocket and have time to throw with this offensive line, again, Russell Wilson – A guy who's probably one of the better quarterbacks in the league would kill for an offensive line like this, and he probably wouldn't have to run unless he has to. So, I think that's probably in Carson Wentz's best interest if he did that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, we'll jump into their defense a little bit. And I mentioned before, their defense is looking actually pretty solid this year. Um, They just really have to put it together. Uh so they got Brandon Graham who they kept, um, when it seemed like he was gonna become a free agent and go somewhere else. They still they have Malik Jackson, Fletcher Cox, who's one of the better uh, defensive tackles in the league, Derek Barnett, uh they have Hill, Zach Brown, Nigel Bradham, uh Rodney McLeod, Malcolm Jenkins, Ronald Darby, and Jalen Mills. It looks like uh Malcolm Jenkins I don't think he ever got a new contract, but it looks like it looks to me he's still gonna be able to play this season.
2: Yeah, I I think that their defense is Obviously, it's been talented because it won them the Super Bowl and it got them to the playoffs again. I think that they're one of the better defenses in this division. Um, I, I mean, and then they also got, I don't know, I don't remember if you mentioned it, but they have uh, Andrew Sandejo, who they picked up in free agency. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, He's actually, uh, him and Rodney McLeod will probably be uh, playing strong safety.
2: Yeah, so so that's a huge upgrade there, just that itself. So it's kind of like I feel like they already were solid and they're improving throughout the off season. So, and they're getting they had some injuries last year too in their secondary. So they're they're getting some of those guys back. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, a good defense. It's gonna be a tough defense to go up against this year.
1: Yeah, and let's not forget. Um, I didn't mention uh, Vinny Curry, and he's a very 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 solid defensive end for them. And um, he's gonna perform pretty well. And Tim Jernigan, I can't forget about Tim Jernigan. He's always in there uh, performing as well as he can. I think this defense. Um with the with the similar names that are in year in and year out, I think they're going to perform pretty solid. I don't think it's gonna be as top level as they were the year they won the Super Bowl. But they're gonna be they're gonna be held up in check enough where the offense will put up their points more than the than the defense will.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I'm not sure anything else you have to add for the Eagles. I'd like to jump into the Dallas Cowboys or the Washington Redskins. Uh take your pick.
2: Um Let's uh you know let's let's go with the Cowboys and then end with the easier of the two because I feel like
1: there's a lot to talk about with Dallas. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So, let's jump in to the man whose name's been thrown whose name's been thrown around for the past couple days. That his name is Dak Prescott who's looking for a brand new contract and um he, apparently he turned down a a 30 million, you know, per year yes. type deal. And he's looking for a forty million dollar deal, like per like per year type salary. Mm-hmm. And it's it, he's probably not going to get it. I think he's going to settle for like thirty five or something like that.
2: I don't know where he thinks that he should be getting forty million dollars. I don't. It's think, just the new
1: market, man. He's trying to set it.
2: But that's just—they already have come out and said that they don't have any money. Like they don't have money to pay all of them. So I feel like this is not the time to now be to be this greedy person, like. 30 million dollars. Yeah, I know. Like he'd be tied for 5th in terms of contracts for quarterbacks. So he's not he's probably not too happy being like, "Oh, I'm going to be the 5th highest paid quarterback and I'm getting paid the most recent." Like I understand he's not going to be thrilled with that, but it comes down to you're you don't have that luxury and if you want to play for Dallas, you're going to have to take that contract otherwise you're going to end up on another team.
1: Yeah, man. I feel like in today's NFL, like we mention all the time on this podcast that Someone's gonna to have to set the new market. I think Dak Prescott is gonna to attempt to do that because there hasn't been a major quarterback signing as of late. The the richest quarterback in the league right now is Russell Wilson, and it's on a deal that's not even that long. I think it was like a four year deal. It wasn't even like a long six year deal. Yeah, he, which he just got it. Yeah, and it's it's less money long term and more front loaded where he gets more, and that's why he's ahead. I feel like they can kind of they can do this with Dak Prescott somehow and give him like a three year four year deal kind of like they did with Russell Wilson and make him the highest paid but eventually he won't be the highest paid. Um, it's gonna last but, a year maybe. Yeah, let's not forget it. What was he a four? Uh, he was a fourth round pick or fifth round pick?
2: Ah, uh, I don't remember.
1: Yeah, so uh, he was a later round way. pick. Yeah. Yeah, either way, he's banking on the way he performed his rookie year with with his offensive line fully healthy and then going into the year after where his offensive line wasn't as healthy and he's throwing a lot of interception, he's relying on his legs, and you know Zeke was going in and out of trouble, and whenever he was in, he would perform to the best of his ability. He's leaning on that type of performance to try to get $40 million per year. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think it's, it's tough, man, because they just signed uh, Demarcus Lawrence to that giant deal, so there's not much exactly. money to go around, like you said, and we're going to mention this in a second, but Zeke's looking for a whole new deal too, so I don't know how this is going to work out for him.
2: Exactly. And I mean, well, I guess this kind of transitions into the Zeke thing too, and then we can start after this. But I feel like with Zeke on the field, is Dak worth, you know, 30, 35 million? Sure. If you're giving him the money and Zeke is going to have to go elsewhere, I don't know if he's worth that. I feel like they complement each other. And without that run game, I don't know if Dak, Dak's not a great packet, a pocket passer. He's not, he's not, he's not solid. Like he has okay accuracy. He, he could throw when he needs to, he could throw on the run, but he's not, this stellar pocket passer that you look at. So I don't, I don't know if he'd be able to take it like two years ago, as we mentioned earlier on, when Zeke was suspended, they weren't doing too hot.
1: So yeah, no, they they really
2: weren't. So it, it gets me nervous and I would be nervous as the owner or a GM or a fan even of the Cowboys. If we let, if they let Zeke walk, how do you, how do you handle that? Because we've seen it before and yes, Dak was younger and he's gotten more experience since then. But still, I'd still have that in the back of my head and be nervous that if we don't have this this big named elite running back, is our offense still gonna be the same?
1: I think the Cowboys should keep this in mind for a second. Like I mentioned, in next year's draft, that's gonna be the most highly touted quarterback draft class ever. And if they were to able to hold over, you know, hold themselves over water for a little bit by keeping Dak and using him kind of as a temporary. And I know they're, everyone's looking at this guy like, hey, I'm the franchise guy now, give me the money and I'll perform. Yeah, you can do that, but, or you can pull something where you sign Zeke and apparently they haven't been doing too well in contract negotiations either. And if they somehow keep Zeke, and they have that run game settled in, and you bring in a young quarterback, you don't have to pay him, maybe that could be an option? What do you, what do you think of this?
2: that? That is the best option. That's essentially what they did with Dak.
1: Literally they, what they had to do with him. That's but exactly pretty what much they ran, He ran Tony Romo out of time. Out of time exactly. So didn't have to pay him. That's
2: exactly it.
1: So, And um, it's just bad timing because Dak and Zeke were in the same draft class.
2: Yeah, and I mean, to me, to be honest, in terms of longevity, yes, Dak will probably be around longer just because quarterbacks tend to stick around longer than running backs will but i think zeke is more crucial to that offense than dak you have is. to
1: be dumb to get rid of zeke though man
2: that's what i'm saying you can put in a second string quarterback right now whoever's behind dak you could put him in and zeke will, will run that offense and he's not going to do he's not going to be winning them every game but he will be able to take control of that offense if you you know if you flip-flop and you take zeke out that's going to be tough
1: that yeah, is tough because they had Rod Smith before before signing with the Giants, right? And now they yeah. have T- Tony Pollard and then Mike Mike Weber as their third string. Like you're not going to put those guys in there and not going to perform as well as Zeke has. But you put Cooper Rush in there; he he's more than capable of giving Zeke the ball. He's not obviously not going to be able to perform as great as you know as a normal quarterback would because he is a backup. And I think Cooper Rush is j- nothing more than a backup but yeah man it's tough Who honestly I, I I go back and forth on this and I always think like oh keep the quarterback and you could always get a new running back kind of like kind of like how uh the Patriots kind of reload on on running backs each and every year like I, I like obviously Rex Burkhead isn't going to be a Patriot for life or no. you know James White isn't going to be playing forever and then Sonny Michelle's only going to be there a couple years before reloading again and I don't think he's going to be a, a Patriots running back for life because they're not around for so long they're careers are cut short maybe five six years if they're lucky but yeah. I feel like Zeke is such a different breed of running back you have to keep him and then they could possibly run that type of scheme with Dak Prescott you pay him and then run Zeke out of town but whoever pays him they're going to regret it so it's honestly tough who, who do you keep in this scenario and I know you're leaning on Zeke a little bit but yeah that I I, that, what's the best option
2: I think that I would lean on Zeke because for example what I know quarterbacks are, you know, you look at them as like they are the offense. Like it go, it, the the offense runs through them. It's it's up to them. But when, what things that Zeke does that goes, I would say, unnoticed or people don't always think about is when you have a quarterback like Zeke in the backfield, you do a play action pass. Everyone's jumping because they they know that if Zeke gets the ball, that those safeties are moving up a little bit. The linebackers are moving up a little bit when they see that he's getting near the ball. Because he's a respected running back and he can do make a huge play anytime he touches that ball. So with just the slightest play action, all Dak has to do is fake the handoff, roll out. He could have a running back, he could have a tight end or a receiver running wide open because that safety moved up, thinking that it was a handoff, and they were focused on tackling him. And he just opened up the field for somebody else.
1: Whereas if yeah, you don't have it, I, I it makes your quarterback easier. That. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
2: Yeah, it just makes, it, it makes life easier for the quarterback, I feel like. And I feel like, yes, you still need a, a good quarterback because you know there are teams out there that don't have good quarterbacks and they can have a good running back and it just doesn't fit. But I feel like with Dallas, the way that they have established themselves, they can be okay without Dak. I'm not saying every team is better off dra- taking a quarterback or taking a running back. I'm just saying in their circumstances, that's what I would do.
1: And like I mentioned before about next year's draft class where there's a lot of quarterbacks they may take and they could trade up for someone or they could trade up for someone. Exactly. Um, if you keep Zeke and you put someone else in, if their offensive line is healthy, it's almost as if Dak never left, you know? Exactly. Um, so let's jump into the wide receiver group for a second. Another person who needs to be paid, but he he looks to me that he's not in a rush to be paid because he knows he'll eventually get his money is Amari Cooper, um, who proved last year um, after leaving the Raiders that he's a pretty solid uh, wide receiver. One to Dallas, um, and I, I like him in in Dallas. I feel like he fits very very well. It shows that hey, I'm a I'm a young guy. I can still I can still perform where I was drafted, um, and he's he's only like 25. I think he just turned 25, or he's still 20. Yeah, he's he's young. Yeah. He's extremely young, and they give up a first round for him. And you know, in the long run, that was a pretty solid move. By the deadline, they have Michael Gallup, who's looking to take the next step. Again, he he under he underperformed for someone who was supposed to be their wide receiver one coming into the year because they didn't have Amari Cooper at the time. But uh, maybe he could be a solid wide receiver too. But for that being, because he underperformed, they brought in Randall Cobb, who was who signed to a one year deal, so he's on a minimum deal because they don't have money to throw around. I feel like he can be a pretty good help to them if Dak plays. Um, I don't think he's gonna hold out, but um, I think I think am gonna try to give him his money before then. Jason Witten is out of the booth, back on the field. Um, I know he sees something in in the Dallas where he could help them somehow. He doesn't miss any games, even if he's hurt head to toe. Do you think he changes the dynamic of this of this receiving core? Jason Witten coming back, or is he kind of like, listen, I gotta hold these guys above water. I'll play another year, maybe two, and help these guys out.
2: See, I, I think he's going to make more of an impact than most people think. Yes, he's not this guy that's going to go out there and outrun everybody or do you know amazing catches. He's not, he, he makes good catches in his career. He has flashy plays, but he's not that kind of person. Uh, he's, a, he's more of reliable. That's what he is. He can go out there and he can block. you got a good pass rusher, he can block him. You go out there, you need like a five-yard third-down conversion. He runs to the marker, turns down, he'll make that catch. He's going to keep that offense on the field, and I feel like that's what's going to happen and he's going to make better blocks for Zeke.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's what Jason Witten saw in the booth. He's like, listen, I might not be the best up here because, honestly, I was dreading games when he was in the booth. It was, it was Oh, terrible. yeah. <laughs> so I guess him being back on the field, he's like, this is where I belong here. He, and um, it's definitely more money than I'm making up there. Um, but I, I think he'll help one way or another just having Jason Witten on there. When you read his name, you're kind of just like he's a security blanket for anyone, yes. any quarterback. Uh, so let's jump into their offensive line for a second because they're injured. They're, they're, they're they get injured all the time. So they got Tyron Smith, who's as of right now uh, healthy. He dealt with that elbow issue. I don't know. i sure if you remember, he had a knee brace on his arm instead of an elbow brace because his arm was so big. Uh, <laughs> but he should be healthy now. They got uh, Connor Williams at left guard. They got Travis Frederick at center. Uh, Zach Martin, who is questionable right now. He's uh, he gets injured a lot, but um, he's one of the better. Um, you know offensive line on also offensive lineman in the league and then uh then Lyle Collins at right tackle if these guys can stay healthy um I think they'll go pretty far um yeah once the contract disputes are out of the way these guys are going to be a, a very big threat um uh into into the NFC East
2: yeah I agree I think it could be
0: it's it could it's, be the it's best. their
1: division to lose, honestly, because the Redskins have no idea what they're doing at quarterback. Everyone's competing for a spot. You got the Giants who have Eli in, who may not even perform as well as people think he is, because we're still waiting on the Eli year in his later years, mm-hmm. still. And so who do we have left? Just them, right? Yeah. And then the Eagles, like I mentioned before, but uh, th- that's it, man. I feel like if they stay on track, contract disputes are out of the way, they should be good.
2: And that's the thing. That's why I said I think the Eagles have the upper hand currently because they're not that's dealing with saying. any of that, You're right. and 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 they're put together. But if they can figure this out, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a fight for that division.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's going to be Eagles and Cowboys head to head, and maybe Giants and Redskins may surprise us, but. We'll have to see. Uh so let's jump into their defense for a second, Demarcus Lawrence. Demarcus Lawrence, who was threatening to hold out of everything, maybe even into the season if he didn't get his new deal. Um they gave it to him. It looks to me the Cowboys have more confidence in their defense right now than their offense. They're lucky to have the weapons they do have on offense, but having Demarcus Lawrence and and you know, their I think their first round pick two years ago, uh, Taco Charlton. Um, yeah, and there. they
2: have uh and
1: they have Vander Esch. Yeah, Vander Esch, like I mentioned before, and who's and Sean Lee's coming back. He was injured yep. earlier last year. Um, Jalen Smith, who is a phenomenal middle linebacker, one of the better ones in the league. Um, Xavier Woods, uh, Byron Jones, and who they who they signed this. Uh, they signed Robert Quinn, uh, but he's suspended as of right now. Yeah, they have him on a one-year deal too. So you can tell uh, Jerry Jones sees their defense performing phenomenally, and hopefully, whoever they have on offense could perform the way they do. Because as we could we as we've seen with Teams like the Jaguars, who have no idea who's going into what position, but they have the talent there at defense, it can hold them up over water for a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I mean, as if their defense can hold up, that give Zeke is already, as we've mentioned, t- you know, talented. So he can go out there if he could. They could just run that ball and, and run it effectively with that great offensive line. The defense is out on the field less, and then you know, it's giving them a rest. And they're given more options to run the ball if their defense can hold them ahead of the game. So they can really utilize their run game and that offensive line, which is their strong suit.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, But um, keeping to Marcus Lawrence is definitely a big thing. Do you think he should have been their priority or should have getting Zeke or Amari Cooper or Dak would have been the better option?
2: Uh, I mean, he... He he came off having one, like a really great year, and he's done well. I think he, I believe he's been franchise tagged before.
1: I think like once or twice.
2: So I feel like I would agree he deserved it because he had been already franchise tagged in the past, and it's kind of like he was like, "I want my deal now." And I feel like he waited. He he should have been the first one up. These guys that are now demanding that they want contracts, they haven't gotten franchise tagged yet. Like they're they're still haven't gotten through that yet. So yeah, I feel like guys
1: are ending on their rookie deals, while you have Demarcus Lawrence waiting on a new deal, like a- after being tagged. You know,
2: exactly. So I feel like that was the right decision. I I agree with that.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, man, there's a lot of confidence in that defense. Hopefully, they can hold up a little bit. I'll keep everyone in touch um, as to what's going on with contract disputes. But I d- I'm telling you right now, I don't think Dak's getting 40 million. That's ridiculous.
2: I do not think so. And if he does, I don't know
1: where it's coming from. So, last but not least, let's shove it to the Washington Redskins, then we'll touch on schedules a little bit, shouldn't take too long, I, I just so we kind of get an idea of what kind of tough schedule these guys may have, or what easy schedule these guys may have. Remember, the last time Ben, uh, ben McAdoo was head coach for the Giants, they had one of the easiest schedule uh, schedules in the league, and they went 11-5, and and then lost in the first round, or something like that?
2: Yeah, they lost to Green Bay.
1: Yeah. Um... So let's jump into the Washington Redskins for a second. So as of right now, it's looking like his Keenum is going to be the starting quarterback for the Redskins come week one. And uh, Colt McCoy is going to be their backup. And then Dwayne Haskins will most likely be their third string. Do you think at any point this season, we are going to see Dwayne Haskins take the field as a starter?
2: Uh, For the Giants sake, y- you hope based on, <laughs> right? based on, based on last uh, preseason game. Cause then you got Eric flowers and him and that's, that's wonderful. But um. I I don't I think I think there's two like there's a whole quarterback competition because they're all over the place with quarterbacks. So I I wouldn't be surprised if if anybody goes out there at this point. Like they are just all over the place with quarterbacks and it's just kind of like all right, they really need to figure it out. And I feel like it's going to be like with the Bucks where last year they thought they had their guy and then they didn't have their guy and they had to keep going back and forth.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um do you think it's in their best interest to have Case Kingdom start week, week one especially considering that he's kind of like a grizzled vet. He performed very well in Minnesota, but when he was with um, the Broncos, uh, it it didn't end up so great. Do you think now, you know, having a guy who can read defenses and a guy who's pretty much capable and suitable enough to go up against an NFL defense week one instead of throwing Dwayne Haskins into there and making sure you have Colt McCoy as your second string because um, when he was, uh, when he had his broken leg, he wasn't performing awfully, but that's the guy you would want in there if you don't have, you know, a starting quarterback that's capable enough.
2: Yeah, I think Case Keenum is, is the uh, right decision. I think that, as we've mentioned, you know, it seems to be either Dallas or the Eagles' division as of right now, so why not go out there and just give it what you got? And I feel like Case Keenum has gone to the playoffs before, and Case Keenum has, has gotten the team through schedules and tough schedules and gotten them through those wins and I feel like he's going to be the best to start off that season with. Kind of like what the, the Redskins tried to do last year with Alex Smith, where he was that veteran presence and he was really doing well for them until the injury, unfortunately. But I feel like, you know, with the Broncos, I feel like they were kind of all over the place and they just were trying to get a quarterback and trying to get a quarterback and they didn't really know what they wanted. They just were trying to throw anybody in. But I feel like the Redskins kind of know what, they're, what they have out of Case Canem and I think that they're really going to utilize him well.
1: So, is it a stretch to say that we'll see Dwayne Haskins by week eight? Is that a stretch, or is that a, po- a very big possibility?
2: Um, I wouldn't say it's a stretch. I don't think it's a huge possibility, but I also wouldn't count it out. I would say it's somewhere in the middle. I wouldn't. Yeah, definitely I, it's somewhere in the middle. I, I wouldn't be surprised, just because it's kind of like you like what I what we've mentioned. You know, you know what you're going to get a Case Keenum. But if they're not, if it's not working, like what happened in Denver last year with him, if that does happen for them, why not just throw that guy out there?
1: Mind you, Jay Gruden is on the hot seat. So if we don't see Dwayne Haskins come Week 8, there is an issue. Because if you have Case Keenum in there, he's performing well, sure, you'll hold him up over water a little bit. But Dwayne Haskins is the future. And if they want to extend Jay Gruden, we're going to have to see Dwayne Haskins at some point this season to see where he's at because... If they end on an awful note, which is a very big possibility coming into this season, Jay Gruden may not have his job anymore. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to get into their backfield for a second because they're keeping Adrian Peterson around for a little bit. And again, he was jumping in because they lost uh, Darius Geis and then Chris Thompson gets injured year in and year out. So Maj P. Ryan just doesn't do it well enough for him to to perform um, as a running back and hold him up over water a little bit, Um, especially with an offensive line that is kind of iffy. They're always injured. Um, especially in those Kirk Cousins years. Uh, but Adrian Peterson didn't have a bad, le- bad year last year, especially considering his age and the injuries that he has to deal with. And he's still looking to be in the NFL even after the legacy he's left behind. And I feel like he still has something to prove a little bit. But now we have Darius Geist coming back from an ACL tear. And he performed very well in the preseason last year. And again, like we mentioned before, it's a year of overreactions. But he genuinely looked like a very suitable running back for him who was selected in the second round and he was considered to be a first-round talent that year in his draft. He comes into this year. Do you think Darius Geis will have a pretty solid year, or are they going to ease him in and have Adrian Peterson kind of lead the way because he was already there last year, and he knows exactly how this scheme works?
2: I think they're going to ease him in just because they kept Peterson around for a reason, and coming off an ACL injury is never easy. So I feel like you don't want to rush some guy back because guys they're hoping he's their future. They're not looking at, at Peterson as, oh, we're going to keep him around and have it really build around him. They're looking at Geiss as that guy. And you don't want to send him out too early because, you know, come, it's a whole different sport. But there was a whole argument with Kevin Durant how they, the trainer sent him back too early and then he went out and got hurt even more. So you don't want something like that happening in the NFL. You just don't want that when you're trying to build your offense because they could realistically have Haskins and Geiss and try to build around that. And you don't want to have any more setbacks with that.
1: Yeah, and again, having an ACL tear, I know that means you have enough time on the sideline to heal. You really want to focus on healing. So how much was he really learning about this offense, not being on the field and actually taking physical reps? I really, I, I, I believe you. I definitely think Adrian Peterson are going to hold on for, to him a little bit since he knows the system. And again, having an ACL tear, that lingers. It doesn't just go away the second you're able to walk and run and able to cut. And it sticks around. So you're going to have to take care of that as well, as well as learn – the team system and know the routes and what what exactly to do. I think Adrian Peterson is going to ease him in. Do you think it's going to be kind of like a one-two punch type deal? Do you think Adrian Peterson gets most of the load and then Darius Darius Geis will kind of jump in to kind of be the change of pace guy? Because Chris Thompson, yes, he'll be more of a receiving back, but uh, he does get injured a lot. We're not sure how his health is coming into this season. And again, he's more of a pass catcher than a runner. So do you think it's more of a one-two punch or is it more like Darius Geis will change the pace a little bit if they need him. Uh, I think at the
2: beginning it's going to be mostly Peterson at backfield, and I think it's going to start to lean towards more of a one-two punch, towards maybe like, you know, the fifth, sixth week, as long as Geis is healthy and feeling
1: good. All right. So let's jump into the wide receiver group for a second. We got Josh Dawson, who we've been waiting for years and years now to become the guy that they wanted him to be, and especially what NFL fans want him to be, and he hasn't been that. He hasn't gotten the ball as much, and whenever he does – whenever he does get the ball it's almost it's pretty much dropped at that point the second you throw to him um do you think he has a different type year this year again it's weird a quarterback he did have Kirk Cousins at his disposal one year and still didn't perform that well but now you got Case Keenum Dwayne Haskins Cole McCoy who knows how that rotation is going to work again Case Keenum is probably going to be the guy week one do you think he looks to Josh Dawson more do you think he looks to guys like Cam Sims or um yeah Brian Quick but he's he's listed as the fourth string on here He's more of like a special team type guy. And then they have Trey Quinn, who's questionable. Again, a lot of names who aren't big, but Josh Doxon's one of the bigger names in that list.
2: Based on that circumstance that there's not many big names, I feel like he has to be that go-to guy because they have Jordan Reed as well as a tight end, which he's battles injuries you know, a decent amount time. as well. But I feel like they're this is it. If Doxson doesn't do it, I feel like they're kind of going to be Gruden's out and he's gone as well. Because they're setting him up to be that number one, and if he he can't do it, that's it like they their experiment with him failed, and they're gonna move on.
1: well, they did that just now with the jets with uh what's his name? Why do I forget everyone's name man um Crowder, yeah, they did that with him. It was a failed experiment. he goes to the jets, and that may just happen this year when Josh Dawson goes and I wouldn't be surprised if next year their first round pick is a wide receiver, yeah. Yep, so uh, again, Jordan Reed, like we mentioned before, they still have Vernon Davis. Vernon Davis is expecting every single year to become the number one tight end because Jordan Reed has to battle injuries all the time. Maybe they can use him as a significant weapon. But let's go to their offensive line for a second because that's going to be a big deal for them. They got Donald Penn at left tackle who they signed to a one-year deal, um, which is a pretty solid signing considering when he was with the Bucks, he was a pro bowler. And when he was with the, with the uh, Raiders, he was pretty solid. That's when they were moving up with Jack Del Rio and stuff like that before John Gruden came around and took over the team. Uh, our boy Eric Flowers is uh, might be the starting left guard coming into the season, and mind you, he was drafted as a tackle for the Giants. So how is that going to work out for him if he's got to learn everything from the guard position, especially since when he was at tackle, he let everyone in? Do you think being a guard is will be much easier that way since there's no edge for de- defenders to come around, or, or, or do you think he's just a bad lineman in general?
2: I think he's not a solid. Like he's not somebody that that I would want on my offensive line. Uh, but I think the guard position will be better because you, you get help. You either get a, you either get center help depending on if they're rushing inside, or you're going to get that tackle help if they're kind of rushing through another gap towards the outside. You have the possibility of getting that help. But when you're on all the way on the outside of the line, if they get back, past you, they get past you. There's there's no help.
1: Yeah, so they have at center Chase Rouye, Brandon Scherf at right guard, and then Morgan Moses at right tackle. But obviously the most significant position is Donald Penn, which he's the left, with left tackle, and those aren't easy to come by in this league. And then Eric Flowers, who ended up with the Redskins, who's in the division, um, who knows when he'll put it together. Maybe this is the year, being at left guard. Maybe that'll change things up a little bit. But I'm not sure if you heard the stories that's been happening um, in training camp. Supposedly he just let someone right through – uh, during one of the plays or drills they were doing, and then their 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 coach, whoever it was, was like, "Someone get me a left guard, like someone who can actually block." Like that's been happening in training camp. I'm not sure if you've heard about that.
2: Yeah, that that's not a good sign.
1: Yeah, not a good sign at all. But again, once regular season comes around, maybe that'll change things up a little bit. But let's jump into their defense, and this is basically the Giants on a Redskins defense. Oh, but, oh, so, definitely. <laughs> yeah. But uh we got guys like Ryan Kerrigan, who performs well year in and year out. He's been the Redskins guy forever. They got John Bostick at right inside linebacker. Montez Sweat, who they drafted later in the first round, who I thought was a phenomenal pickup. He fell in the draft because of that heart condition that came up the day of the draft. So I thought he was gonna be taken by the uh the Packers, and turns out they ended up falling to him. Uh Landon Collins is a strong safety. Um, who's looking to have a phenomenal year this year because he knows exactly who's going up against, which is the Giants twice a year. Uh, they got Monte Nicholson at free safety. They have uh, Josh Norman at uh, cornerback, and then uh, Quentin Dunbar at uh, left cornerback. Uh, let's see what else we got here. There's a ton. They got Ryan Anderson at um, outside linebacker as well. Um, not sure I'm leaving out here. There's a, Oh, yeah, they got DRC, but he's listed as a third string. That should change by probably – week one but again Josh Norman is going to be their go-to guy at corner uh Quentin Dunbar is questionable so who knows how they move things around there um what do you what do you think man how what is this defense looking like again Josh Norman he's really looking to he's really coming into being a Redskin I feel like he like previously when he first signed that contract he wasn't performing as well as he was with the Panthers which is what earned them that contract and now He's really moving back to being the Josh Norman he once was, and then of course you know Landon Collins playing with him now and Montez Sweat who kind of takes the uh, the pressure off of him a little bit and watch those guys those guys perform. What do you think of this defense as a whole and how these guys perform overall?
2: Yeah, I think that they uh, I think that they're a very talented group. Like if I had to put, I would say probably the Eagles at number one, and I'd say the Redskins in terms of defense in that division are number two. I think. They, by getting DRC and by bringing Collins, and then... Um, they had to bring
1: DRC out of retirement, so...
2: Exactly, and then they are bringing bring Collins, and they brought... Uh, they have just some of the guys at like Kerrigan that you mentioned, and they, they've they drafted Sweat. I think that they're going in the right direction, and I think that it's really going to benefit their defense. The question mark is just their offense, like, what is it going to get put together? That's the question mark, not their defense.
1: Is there anything else you wanted to add on this division before I jump into the schedule and see how these guys are looking like going into the regular season?
2: Nah, that's all I have on them.
1: So we'll jump into the Giants for a second, just quickly run through it. They got uh, the Cowboys week one. Uh, they go up against the Bills week two. They got the Buccaneers week three, Redskins week four. It doesn't look like an awful schedule. It looks to me they hmm. can get three out of the four there. Um, it, I feel like the only game they'll lose is probably against the Cowboys week one because I feel like they never win week one against the Cowboys whenever it comes uh, down. Yeah,
2: to. They, they usually lose.
1: But it gets tougher from there. They have the Vikings Um, after week four. They go into week five against the Vikings at home, which is luckily for them, but Vikings are a phenomenal team. And then they got the Patriots after that. And uh, week seven, they got the Cardinals. Week eight, they got the Lions. Cowboys again. Jets, they'll verse again. Then they have the Bears, who have one of the best defenses in the league. So that should be, um, you know, a circus, basically. Then they got the Packers after that. They get It gets tough towards later in their season, man. Um, I think exactly like you said before, they're capable of winning possibly six games here. But I think more more than anything, they'll have a losing record because they got some pretty tough teams going into the middle middle part of the season. And you know, injuries come around. You know, anything happens, and who knows what will happen when they go up against those guys. Yeah. Uh, we'll jump into the Cowboys for a second. Like I mentioned before, they got the Giants week one. They have the Redskins week two, Dolphins week three, and then the Saints week four. So it really starts off hot because they got some division games there. I feel like the the Dolphins. I feel like they always perform well against them. Um, and then they got the Saints, who are a pretty tough team to go against. But they won against them last year in a yeah. the, what was it like a Thursday game? I think
2: it was a Thursday. It was a night game. I think it was a Thursday game. Yeah. Yeah, and it was already
1: chalked up that the Saints were going to win that, and then the Cowboys really put it together. Their defense and Lane Vander Esch was performing insane. So maybe so they just have the looked, Saints number.
2: Yeah, it could be a, it could be a close
1: game. Then they got the Packers after that, and then they go. They play against the Jets, and then Eagles another division game. They go up with the, the Giants again. It looks to me that they're they'll be more than capable to try to be head to head with these teams. Packers will be a tough team. Then they go up against the Vikings, then the Lions, and then the Patriots. So they have a similar schedule um, like the Giants, but again the Cowboys are a better team, so they should look to have maybe an eight and eight record, nine and seven.
2: Yeah, I could see that.
1: I could see that also but we'll see coming into this year, especially with contract disputes like we mentioned before. Let's take a look at the Redskins for a second. They jump into week one going up against the Eagles, week two against the Falcons, um, which was the week one game uh, last year. It was the first game of the season, right?
2: Yes, with a Thursday night, yeah.
1: And I believe the Falcons lost that game. So, I don't know. Maybe these teams, kind of, When these teams go up against each other, it's kind of always up in the air, like 50-50, as to who wins that game.
2: See, it's always close, but in my head, we lost to them the last two times, but it was there. This game is in Atlanta, so I feel like if they're gonna beat, if Atlanta's gonna beat them, it's gonna be this game. I don't mean? know. I think just because this game is in Atlanta, if Atlanta's ever going to beat them, it's going to be now because they have their home crowd. They're not yeah, dealing with be. their, they also have their with defense. Way now. To Everyone
1: that. got injured that week one game. Exactly. Um, so again, like I mentioned, the NFC East all have the similar schedule. So they go up against the Eagles later, uh, right after the Falcons game in week three, week four is against the Packers, uh, Jets in, hold on, let me see if I got this right. Hey, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Hold on. One second. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. They go up against the Vikings week six, um, back to division game week seven and then the bills week eight. It looks to me that they they'll be more than capable of winning these types of games when these teams go up against the Bears, that's when I get kind of nervous because then they verse the Patriots the week after that. See, then they got Seahawks, Dolphins, uh, Giants again, and then they pretty much wrap it up with division games there. So I think they sh- they should be more than capable enough to beat these teams. It just really depends how they perform against the Vikings, and you know they got to make sure with injury injury sake. I think this shouldn't be a tough go around for their type of schedule.
2: Not, I mean, I feel like opposed to the other two that you just named before their games are kind of like chopped up in the middle. It could be like easier than hard and easier than hard, where the other two game, the other two teams you just mentioned, they go through like a tough patch, like a rough patch in scheduling. So they have the opportunity to, if they hit a hot streak, they can really, they may ha- actually beat those teams because they're put in the middle. They're not, it's not four weeks straight of really tough com- uh, opponents.
1: Yeah, and that's what the Giants have. Again, like I mentioned, they have the Patriots and the Vikings and the Bears, like all of them together yeah. in, in like a week span, in like a couple weeks span. So... I feel like they're more spread out. It's more towards the middle. And that's when you actually start to get hot. Because early in the season, once you go 0-4, you could either fall in the hole or you could, you know, come out of it and uh, perform as well as you can. And, and, again, by the Eagles, the way they perform against Super Bowl champions, I feel like that's the time where they get hot. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, again, the, the Redskins don't have have the similar similar schedule, like I mentioned before, because it's uh, the NFC schedule. Um they go up against the uh, Eagles week 1 like I mentioned before for the Eagles they go up against the Cowboys week 2 Bears week 3 so it starts off hot. Uh <laughs> honestly I don't sports bet but I would almost bet on that game for the Bears to win that easily if it's a week 3 game.
0: Oh yeah and I feel like with with already what you've mentioned if they don't start off hot it could basically lose them that division.
1: And again it's it's this is a tough opening because you're going up against division rivals at this point and then you jump into and out of you know a team that's totally out of left field being the bears and then jump right into the giants the next week so uh, this could be an 0 and four type start for the redskins especially if case kingdom starts off i i don't think him against the bears is uh, the best recipe no not at all then they got the Patriots right after the Giants. Then they jump into the Dolphins, which could be, you know, kind of a whatever game. But that's a Redskins game. They got That's a game they got to win. And they go up against the uh, the 49ers the week after that, following the Vikings. And then the Bills. And then they go up against the Jets, Lions, Panthers. And then they jump into Green Bay. And then the Eagles again. They wrap up with the games. So this, to me, could look like they could win like a max four games.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say I don't see many
1: wins in in that. I get nervous here. If their re- if their defense can hold themselves over water for out of division games, and maybe Case Keenum or whoever they throw in a quarterback again, I do think Dwayne Haskins is going to see the field by the by mid season because Jay Gruden is is gonna be his last hope right there. So if they just throw him out there and he performs well, he'll keep his job. But um, who knows what'll happen, man? I think when when everything. You know, push comes to shove, and after the pa- the week they versed the Patriots, they head into the Dolphins game. They throw Haskins in there; those two games he wins maybe against the Dolphins and the Forty ers and then the Vikings come around and they kind of you know maybe hold themselves up a little bit. But maybe the defense and Dwayne Haskins can you know kind of have this weird chemistry where they'll put it together a little bit because again, he was a very highly touted quarterback. He was supposed to be selected in Daniel Jones' position, and this isn't a bad schedule for him if he ever ends up in here by the middle of the season because again they got the redskins vikings bills redskins uh sorry like 49ers vikings bills jets lions like that 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 should be a, a couple weeks that Dwayne haskins can handle
0: definitely yeah definitely
1: yeah so i definitely think he'll see the field by the time october hits and that's pretty much everything on the schedule if i'm not mistaken did i miss a team
0: no you named them all
1: that should be it. So overall, the NFC East is a very interesting division to look at because there's a lot of question marks and uh, a lot of overreactions and, again, a lot of defenses that are set in stone but offenses that aren't. And I feel like that's the really the main storyline of this division.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that, yeah.
1: Is there anything else you wanted to add on uh, the NFC East? We definitely covered a lot today.
0: Yeah, I think we covered everything that we needed to cover.
1: Definitely. So uh, we can wrap it up here. Hope you guys enjoyed the uh, NFC East preview that we put on for you here. I'll possibly have a later episode the later in the later part of the week um, going over the NFC North, and, but we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, Chris, I definitely thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. So before we go, I want, actually wanted to plug... Uh, the Insta- our Instagram, uh, franchise tag sports. Uh, I, I definitely give you guys some updates. I repost from other accounts that I follow. So if you want, ever want to get updates, definitely follow our account. And I definitely put up some snippets again. Especially when we talked about Golden Tate today, I had a snippet from the week before talking about Golden Tate. That's up there. So you should expect that from our. Uh, instagram there make sure to follow the twitter uh, where you see all the content and make and uh you'll make sure to see uh when our new episodes go up i give you guys updates on that make sure to subscribe to the franchise tech sports podcast youtube channel if you want to see clips on there we'll get that going once the regular season comes around chris will be around for that um i don't think i'm missing anything else that should be it right
2: yeah that should be it
1: That should be it, man. Uh, Yeah, again, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, once the regular season kicks in, I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm ready to start talking some more football instead of waiting for news to break out. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. Stay tuned for some more episodes. And we'll see you next time.